Hello and welcome back everybody. It's Joe and Chaz here again for another week of the Playsheet podcast. And this week we are going to be talking about the COVID-19 opt-out list. I mean, again, it's something we say every week, COVID, 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 but with the deadline for the list being today on Thursday, it was something that we felt that we needed to discuss because it's probably the single biggest thing that's going to affect teams moving forward. It's been a slow news week and it was either this or team profiles. So again, COVID-19 this week. <laughs> but I don't think we should be telling anyone they're getting COVID-19. <laughs> so Joe, why don't you take us through then what's been happening? Okay, so we went through in a fair amount of detail last week how the opt-outs kind of work, so we won't do that again. But there has been more movement in terms of players who've decided to opt-out in the last week. The list is getting a bit longer. A couple of days ago, a big name who decided to opt-out was CJ Mosley, key player for the New York Jets. And there's been some other kind of big names, some strange ones like Geronimo Allison as well. Uh, no one's quite sure yet if he's high-risk or volunteer. But there's more and more players now who are starting to opt out. There are some teams who've basically almost been untouched. There are some teams, obviously like the Patriots, who are touched by this a lot more than other teams. But it's probably averaging, I don't know, about, about two players per team. And the majority of them are linemen. I think that if you look down the list, most of the positions where we're seeing this are tackles, both defensive and offensive, and then edge rushes. I mean, when you throw in tight ends as well, it's, it's way over half a list for linemen. And do you think that the reason for that is because that they see themselves as particularly exposed in that position? That's a good point. Um, It is probably the most exposed position, but I think you also have to look at the physique of these guys. When you consider the high-risk opt-outs, of the five players who are confirmed to be the high-risk opt-out players, four of them are linemen. These are big guys. They're not really built for agility, let's put it that way. They're huge, 300-pound, 350-pound lumps. These are the guys who are going to have breathing problems and all kinds of things like that. When you're already built to maybe not withstand COVID as well as perhaps a wide receiver might, you're also up in the face of four or five other guys week in, week out. So yeah, it's partly the higher risk of a position, but it's also the risk of their physiques. Yeah, makes sense. Going into what I was saying about the positions that are affected, it will be interesting to see what this does for the rest of the free agency market and what teams are going to do to address this. I would have thought that if you look at the situation we have, suddenly there is going to be a big premium on linemen, both offensive and defensive. At the minute, we haven't really seen that. And I suspect that the reason we haven't seen that yet is because teams are hedging their bets to not throw contracts out there until the deadline for voluntary opt-outs happens. So teams don't want to give players who are maybe struggling with free agency right now, your Jadvion Clownleys, your Everson Griffins, they don't want to give those guys a contract for them to then get that security and say, you know, well, actually, we're not going to play for this season and then be strapped with the cost next year when their first choice uh, or their already contractually signed player will come back. So we could see movement tomorrow, Friday, after the deadline has passed. And I would suspect that there could be a bit of a rush for a few of those free agents who are still out there. I suppose the other thing that is quite important to note is that although Thursday is the deadline, that isn't the only time that players can opt out. It has been indicated by the league that if a player has a family member who becomes ill, then they are also allowed to opt out partway through the season. So that's something that teams will just need to, I suppose, be a bit flexible on. Yeah, and again, that's just an added element of risk there. We have seen some teams make small moves in the market. 
We saw the Vikings pick up a replacement for Michael Pierce. Michael Pierce was the first player, I believe, who was a high-risk opt-out. Michael Pierce has asthma. He had pneumonia a couple of years ago. So he has struggled with respiratory problems. Michael Pierce was going to be a centerpiece for this Vikings team in terms of their defense. He's played previously in 3-4 lineups. He's a nose tackle. He's very much a nose tackle. He doesn't really pressure the quarterback as much as a 4-3 defensive tackle might. He's very much a nose tackle build, a run stopper. He's obviously out. Vikings have gone and picked up PJ Hall, which is a strange one, really. Strange in the sense that he's not exactly a comparable player in terms of being a nose tackle. He's more of a free technique defensive tackle. But, I mean, the Vikings got him very cheap. The Vikings gave a conditional seventh round, and that pick is conditional on the basis that he remains on the roster for six games. So they're not giving much away. But, again, that's more than the Raiders were getting because the Raiders were going to cut him. So everyone's a winner there. But these are the type of movements that we're seeing. It's a very low price the Vikings have paid. The toe's been dipped in the water. Teams haven't really gone out yet and tried to find replacements. They seem to be waiting for that deadline to pass. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see, really, if this is the most appetite there's ever going to be, i.e. teams feel like it's a bit of an unknown season and so don't want to overcommit full stop, or if they're waiting for the landscape to settle a bit and once they feel they've got some clarity about the fact that, yes, games are definitely going ahead and these are the players that have officially opted out, will then start seeing big moves. It's interesting because I wonder if some teams are thinking, like, do you know what, this isn't a real season let's just regroup and go big next season or whether there are some teams that are just saying look let's not commit yet but once we've got a bit clearer picture of what's happening then we'll go in big and we'll make sure we're one of the competing teams and that's just it because whatever happens this is going to be a weird season you know we've spoke about teams we think will do well that still does have relevance but it's going to be an attritional season the teams that will do well really ultimately are going to be the teams that manage to keep the majority of their players safe healthy and off the COVID-19 list and I'm not talking about the opt-out list here now I'm talking about if players are exposed to it which we've seen in lots of training camps so far then you are put on that COVID list for two weeks no getting around that at all and you've got risks where players could you know do something stupid we saw in a basketball world uh, last week going and get wings from a strip club (laughs) my man Lou (laughs) players going to do something stupid like that and that's two weeks they're off And they can do that multiple times. So it's about that focus and staying healthy and staying on the roster consistently throughout the season. And the teams that manage to keep the most players fit and healthy will probably do best. Unless you're the Jets where perhaps, you know, maybe having some players off the roster would help you more than not. (laughs) Oh, that's so cruel. (laughs) It's funny you should mention that actually because I was reading today that obviously the league are looking at ways that they can try and make it as safe as possible and can safeguard against any major outbreaks because what they're trying to avoid is what's happening with baseball at the moment. And one of the ideas that was banded out there was almost like a kind of track and trace, but with Apple Watch so that they could understand where players have been and if they've been into contact or near places where people have contracted the virus, then they can start to quarantine these players for like mini periods or advise them of situations. And all I could think of was, the league has been waiting for so long to be able to track the players of the NFL. I mean, I can't imagine that's going to go down too well for the Players Association, can you? 
I don't see that being a starter really because I think the situation you would get in early weeks is that with how bad COVID is in the States right now, I would imagine that it's almost impossible for players to not come into some form of contact and have some form of risk. And if that's showing up on a watch and and you've got the kind of evidence of it there, then you've got to action and put them on the COVID list. So it's almost a devil you know is better than a devil you don't. Keep these players as healthy and safe and make sure they're not doing stupid things. But if you really want the facts of how exposed they're getting, everyone's going to be on that list in a week or two. And that's not to say they've got it, but if there's that chance and there's a possibility that they've been exposed to someone who had a possibility of COVID, they're on the list. It's not happening yet, but when you get players like Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, when these big names are suddenly you know, to all intents and purposes, looking healthy, but they were at a drive through where the car behind them, someone had COVID, and now they're not playing football for two weeks. I don't think that's something that Roger Goodell will want to really facilitate. Yeah, also, how many blind eyes is he going to have to turn? <laughs> this is him, yeah. We've got data showing these two men robbing a bank. Let's just uh, ignore that one. <laughs> There's, look, I think that the opt-out list right now is... It's impactful and it is going to impact teams. And like we said, it's going to impact teams worse than others. But I think this is the distraction. The real interest will come when the season starts and when players are missing games through being exposed. Because I would imagine that that is going to have a much higher attrition rate. You're going to see a lot more players and that will really shift games. I mean, the Green Bay Packers not having Devin Funchess playing. Yeah, not great. They're missing their wide receiver, two slash three, who's not had time to play with Rodgers. So it's a bit of a story, but it's not. The story will be when the season starts and Zadaria Smith or Aaron Rodgers or Aaron Jones, if one of those players is suddenly on the COVID list, that's when things are going to matter more. And that's going to matter a lot more than this uh, voluntary or high-risk opt-out list. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what people are saying. As of yet, there have been no major superstars that have decided to opt out. We've got some relatively big names, as you mentioned, on the defensive end from the Patriots with Hightower and so on. But CJ Mosley for the Jets. Yeah, Mosley for the Jets. But I think it's as you've rightly said, if we start seeing a few key mark players drop out, that might change the landscape of the season and and how much teams commit to it. And we will see them. Yeah, because again, who wants to overcommit to an asterisk season? Is this an asterisk season? Not yet. But the comparison that I'll make is the 1987 season when there were the player strikes. and The replacements, baby. The replacements, yeah. So when you had that season, you had some relatively weird results. Here. And again, calling back the Vikings, the Vikings were 9-7 the year before and went to the championship game in uh, 87. So this is an opportunity as much as it's a problem. If I'm a team like, I don't know, the Bills. The Bills have been in the conversation for the AFC. But that's as good as it's got. They've not been the best side in the AFC. They're not as good as the Chiefs. They're not as good as the Ravens. They've definitely not been as good as the Patriots over the last few years. But then suddenly, suddenly the Patriots are looking weakened. The Patriots are looking like they've got some key pieces. All right, not superstars, but they've got enough key pieces that they're starting to totter now. Now you're thinking, you know, the Dolphins are doing nothing. The Jets have enough problems of their own. This is potentially a real good chance for the Bills to make a good run of the AFC. You should be thinking, if you're a Bills player, that the AFC East is theirs. They have got to be thinking that they're going to win. And I'd go past that. I'd say that they've got to be thinking about a first-round buy, something like that. So it's an opportunity for some teams. I wouldn't call it an asterisk season, but I think that this will be looked back on the same way that the 1987 season was. 
And I think that's what we're seeing at the moment. So we touched briefly on how this affects the cap in our last episode. And essentially, salary will not count for opted out players. There may be certain guarantees built into their contract that they'll have to play, but it could be the difference of somebody taking up $25 million on your cap space suddenly is now has opted out and only takes up five or eight. So it's leaving big spaces on the cap and the teams have essentially two options. They can either take that extra cap space that they have and use it to strengthen their squad this summer through free agency signing, or they can roll that additional cap space into next year and and look to make some bigger moves then. Right now, it looks like a lot of the teams are looking more towards the future than they are to doubling down on this particular season. But as you mentioned, that may change once this deadline's passed. Yeah, it really feels like we're in a kind of Mexican standoff right now and who's going to pull the trigger and go all in. Like you say, no one has really gone all in yet. And I think a reason for that is because teams are just waiting for the voluntary deadline to pass. I think that once that goes, we'll see a sudden rush. And I think some teams will pull the trigger, some teams will sit back and it will soon become clear who's going all in. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see, as you mentioned, if some of these teams that you wouldn't typically think were part of the conversation suddenly feel like there's an opportunity to seize upon that and they start going big and then some of the bigger teams are thinking well maybe we don't want to overcommit this year let's just try and run it back with what we've got and then double down next year and if there's almost like a bit of a balancing across the league with some of these teams that are typically considered not as good thinking they've got a shot now and some of the stronger teams kind of just saying look let's just go with what we've got it would be really interesting to see if that brings any parity to the league this season. And it's going to be really fluid because you could have teams who get a bit of bad luck. The perfect example of this really is a player like Mahomes. If Mahomes gets exposed to someone, doesn't catch it, he's out for two weeks. Suddenly there could be two divisional games there that they would have won easily that they don't win. And then, and then it could happen again. It could happen again and again. And if this starts to happen, you could suddenly see teams who everyone was hyping up and everyone thought would do well just suddenly having terrible starts and it will open the door. And so it's just going to be so much movement. It's not going to go the way that people would think this would go in a normal season. Not that it ever does. But I think that calling a Super Bowl champ or even calling the teams in the Super Bowl is going to be exceptionally hard this year. And it could be really interesting. If it does go ahead, if things work out, and if the majority of players do stay healthy, this could be one of the most exciting seasons for a long time. The bookies aren't going to know where to put their odds, are they? (laughs) They're not. I don't think the bookies have moved too much yet, though, have they? No, no, I don't think they have. But it's funny that you talk about Mahomes in that scenario, because we've already heard that two starting quarterbacks have gone onto that list. So we've got Minshew and also Matt Stafford. Yeah, and... This could possibly be the best thing to happen to these teams. Because if, let's say for argument's sake, that Stafford has got it, theoretically he won't get it again, then that could be a huge blessing that your quarterback is almost guaranteed to stay off that list for the rest of the season. Now, I'm, I'm not sure how they're going to enforce things, because if you've had it once, are we going to say, well, we know you can't have it again, we trust that science, so you can't go back on the list. Or if you've had it, are we going to put you back on it regardless? But if it's a former then it would be quite a luxury to have your quarterback guaranteed to not be on that list for the rest of the season. <laughs> I think there's a danger there of when parents used to do the old smallpox party. Stafford's got coronavirus, quick, get the whole team in here. Let's let's bring him around and uh, <laughs> make sure everyone's all good and clear for the start of the season. 
<laughs> Absolutely. So you mentioned the Bills as a team that you thought would possibly see this as a really good opportunity and should be taking advantage of that. Are there any other teams out there that you're aware of at the moment that you think are in a position that they should be pushing and they should be pressing upon their rivals? I think that at this stage, because like we mentioned, the volunteer opt-out list isn't going to make as much difference as the exposure reserve list will. I think that it's hard to make calls now. The difference is with the Bills, with the Patriots, because the Patriots have so many players that they have one exception to this because the Patriots do seem to really be hit by this list. I think that the teams which potentially will do best are the teams where the talent is spread evenly. So you're not going to have individual players who make such a difference to that team's success. And so... For argument's sake, a team like the Indianapolis Colts, they don't rely on a quarterback, they don't rely on a running back, they don't really rely on any player in particular. You know, Darius Leonard is their best player, but they'd get by without him. So you could say the best two players from the Colts are on that COVID list. Well, they'd probably still be 95, 90% of the team. Whereas a team like the Green Bay Packers, you lose Aaron Rodgers, you lose Darius Smith, then that team is seriously hindered. So the teams that I think will do better out of this are those teams with a talent spread. So, you know, the Colts, perhaps the Saints, you know, they don't rely on Drew Brees as much as they used to. Those are a couple of teams to throw out there. I feel like we come back to them almost uh, every podcast, but the 49ers are probably positioned quite well. Absolutely. Great shout there. You know, you mentioned previously about how little Garoppolo did in the playoff run. If he's not around, doesn't matter too much. I guess, you know, you do have a, not a quarterback position as much, but it would be a loss if Kittle wasn't around. It would be a loss if yeah. Nick Bosa wasn't around. So you lose one of those players and it's a hit, but there is a lot of evenly spread talent across that team that you feel that there'd still be a very strong proposition without either of those players. Yeah, and they've got the committee running back situation. So if one of those goes down, there's ample cover. As you mentioned, they seem to be well spread out. They don't seem to rely on any wide receiver and they have depth uh, across both lines. So then are there any free agents out there at the moment that you think should be getting picked up or you think maybe a few teams will have their eye on? I would have thought that when one of these teams that has perhaps lost a relatively high profile defensive lineman, it's kind of few and far between now, but you perhaps could have said the Vikings losing Michael Pierce. That was a key play for them in respect that they have so little at defensive tackle now that Linwood Joseph has gone, Everson Griffin went, all right, he's an edge rusher, but across the line, they're looking pretty thin. So a team like the Vikings, I would have thought, would have been perhaps back in the market for Griffin and would have tried to tap him up, especially as there's rumours that he's going to Green Bay. A team like the Chicago Bears, you know, have lost Eddie Goldman, a tackle there who's come on leaps and bounds in the last few years. There's those teams there where you think, They've lost a big enough piece that if they thought they were competitive and they think they can still be competitive, you'd go out and you'd look for a player like Everson Griffin. You'd look for a player like Jedevion Clowney. These are big names. and They've been sticking out like a sore thumb all through the offseason because it's almost been incomprehensible that a team would never come and pick them up yet. With this desperation, with cap space being freed up, I'd be very surprised if they're not with a team by this time next week. I think the reason that a lot of these players that you've mentioned haven't been picked up is because a lot of the teams felt that the asking price was just too high. Now we've spoken about cap spaces being freed up because they have players that are dropping out. So there's the opportunity to now pick these players up. Do these free agents, are they aware of that? And do you think they might stop playing hardball? And are we going to see some really big contracts coming out? 
because they're the players with the power now. Uh, no, I I don't. I don't think these players will get big contracts because ultimately they are still being bought in almost for a, it's almost for a year's prove it contract. It's an opportunity that's arisen for them, but I don't see teams breaking the bank for them. If they wanted them that bad, they still would have picked them up a few weeks ago. And I think that should be in the back of the mind of all of these players. But Jedevion Clowney, you know, a guard like Larry Warford, who's had a lot of uh, success down the years with the Saints, someone like Snacks Harrison coming out of Detroit. They're pretty big name players who should be able to get a team and they should just see the situation for what it is. And, you know, they might get maybe a little bit more than than what they would have got. But based on where we are, a lot of these players perhaps just would not have got picked up because we're quite late in the offseason now. We would normally be a week away from the first practice game of the season. These players weren't picked up for whatever reason. And part of it was the COVID situation earlier on. This is a chance they should take it. Okay, so there's a series of players who should be certainly taking the opportunity. I suppose on the flip side, there are some players who are very upset with the way that the situation is. And Odell Beckham Jr., in fact, going so far as to saying that the season should be cancelled and that the owners see the players as nothing more than dollar signs. Yeah, ODB is my child, please, of the week. Stuff that he was coming out with, basically... Let's look at the history of ODB. Now, we often say on this podcast that X player isn't worth this or X team shouldn't pay this player X amount. We make those comments and that's us having a conversation about what we judge the value of players to be and everyone's entitled to that opinion. But what I will always say is that every player is entitled to go out there and try to make as much money as they can or because we may think that they are not worth it. That doesn't matter at all. They should go out and make as much money as they think they can. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. And Odell Beckham Jr. is a player who, from relatively early in his career, has been trying to get as much money for himself as possible. He moaned and whinged and did everything he could to get the best contract possible for himself in New York when he was a giant. And he did. He got a blockbuster contract. And that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then for him to turn around and say, all the earners care about is the money. Well, yeah. Of course they do. But that's all you care about as well. Don't pretend that you're playing the game for the love of the game. Because if that was the case, you'd have stayed on your rookie salary at New York, never have left, and you'd be still catching passes of Eli. But you're not. You wanted the money. They want the money. Let's get real, ODB. Let's get real and just face it. It's a money game. So don't whinge about it. I think the other hilarious thing about that is as well, if you think the season should be cancelled and you think that you know, these uh, owners don't have your best interests at heart, opt out. But he's not opting out. Because he wanted to cash. Because he wants paid. (laughs) I mean, it's complete hypocrisy. I don't know if you saw the line that came out from cleveland.com around this. I thought it was absolutely prime PR. It had me in stitches. So obviously he came out with this statement and then they posted online. They said... Beckham has no plans of opting out after seeing how safe the Browns facility was. (laughs) Yeah, and this was just, this wasn't actually him that said this. It's the Browns who said that. And he's currently on record moaning and bitching and whinging about what he perceived as the owners caring about money and not about his health. Yet he still hasn't said a single thing about it. So I would turn around and say, you know, I think things are great or you look quite hypocritical and like I said you're always entitled to go for as much money as you can go for not a problem with that but just don't be hypocritical about it yeah and I think not too long ago actually they released the report of the biggest sporting franchises in terms of monetary value 
And the NFL, got to make sure I get this right, but I think the NFL has three of the top five franchises. They dominated the top 50, absolutely dominated them. Yeah, so I think you had uh, the Giants, I mean the Cowboys. The Cowboys are the richest franchise in sport, I believe, aren't they? In terms of worth? Yeah, at $5.5 billion. Yeah. So yeah, it's a money game. and everyone, But because those franchises earn that much money, they're able to year on year break these records that all these key signings are getting. So it, it's cyclical. The way that the salary cap works, players like ODB can only be paid money when the salary goes up because the league is earning more money. The players wanted their earnings to be tied into what the league makes, and they've got that. And so, like you know, the owners wanting to make more money is ultimately only the players making more money as well. You can't have it both ways. Talking about that list, Chess, quick question for you. Only one owner comes up on the top 50 twice. Do you know who it is? Oh, is, uh, is it the owner of the Bruins? No, it's, oh. uh, it's your boy Kronk. Arsenal were one of the top 50th. Oh, of course, because he's got the Rams and Arsenal. And he's got the Rams, yeah. And he's also got ah. like the Denver Nuggets and Colorado Rockies, maybe. Like, he's it's Colorado something. Yeah. It's like Colorado Rapids or something. It was something like that. Something like yeah. that. Soccer yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. But obviously he doesn't care about any of his franchises except for the Rams. So. Unfortunately. Although we did come away with the trophy last weekend. So happy days. Congratulations. Thank you. You're an Arsenal fan too, of sorts. <laughs> They're your second team. I don't believe in second teams. I just like to see Arsenal doing well, but I wouldn't say I'm a fan of them. Right, that's it. Kick you out of the stadium, Joe. So we're in that kind of part of the season now where the news is pretty dry. As I mentioned earlier, we would have had our first uh, practice game of the season, but that's obviously not happening. So, you know, not as exciting as it would normally be at this point in the season. If there's anything you'd like us to discuss, any questions you have, Drop us a line either through our Instagram or comment on one of the podcasts and we'd be happy to discuss anything you want to talk about. Yeah, and you can email us on playsheetpodcast at gmail.com. Looking forward to hearing from you all. Until next week. 